One more time, let me just welcome all of you who are joining us via our live stream. Thank you for being here today. I want to draw your attention to the 17th chapter of John, the book of John 17. And I want to ask you to turn to the 20th verse there, John 17, 20. And I will tell you as you are turning there that this is recording a prayer of Jesus Christ. And this was, in many ways, in my mind, in my way of thinking, perhaps the most intense prayer that Jesus prayed, although I believe every prayer of Christ was powerful and and was charged with spiritual energy and power. I believe that this particular prayer um, had had more um, more emotion poured into it because this is the prayer that Jesus lifted up just before he would be betrayed by a kiss from one of his closest friends. This was the eve of his crucifixion. And he was in a garden, and the Bible tells us that as he prayed, he prayed so hard that he sweat what looked like droplets of blood coming out of his body, the intensity of his prayer time. And this would be the night before uh, a, a large band of people would come and take him away and arrest him. This would be the night that a trial, a, a fake phony trial was had. And Jesus stood in the judgment hall of human beings. This was the night that would lead to his sentencing. To die on a cross and be crucified. So this prayer to me has a great deal of significance and I want to draw your attention to the words of Christ beginning with verse 20. We are not beginning at the beginning of this prayer. This is, this is some of what Jesus prayed there alone in the garden. Jesus was praying to his father and he says, And my prayer is not for them alone, meaning his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you. That's me. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. May they also be in us. Um, Sorry. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity. To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them. Even as you have loved me. I'm a person who always as a little boy especially enjoyed comic strips. I'm old enough to remember them. I don't know if all of you do. or Most of you probably do. To those of you who are under the age of say 30. uh, Comic strips are like cartoons but on printed page okay so so i i remember one particular comic uh strip that i liked um to had a husband and a wife on it and the the opening panel uh shows a picture of this guy and he he's little He's a little man. He's he's not a very big guy. And and anyway, he is relaxing. He's sitting in his recliner and he's got his TV with the rabbit ears up, you know, and he is watching something on TV. You see a little smile on his face of contentment while he is sipping on some iced tea. You see the ice cubes in that little uh, glass that he is holding. And he is watching TV and enjoying himself. The next panel shows his considerably larger wife walking more like stomping into the room and demanding that he get up and turn the channel to something she wants to watch. 
And so he, in a, in his little mousy way, retorts in the next panel and, and he says, what makes you think that you can walk in here and make demands like that and take me away from my TV time? Then comes the next panel where the wife says, these five fingers, and she has it shoved up under his nose in a fist, balled up. She says, that's what tells me I can do this. And then the next panel says, what channel do you want? (laughs) And then you see this next panel, you see the woman is relaxing with this look of satisfaction on her face watching something else on TV holding that same glass of iced tea drinking out of that same straw with this look of satisfaction on his face and you see the man slinking and it's very obvious that he's disappointed with himself the last panel shows him sitting at the kitchen table and he's looking down at his fingers and he says why can't you guys get organized like that He just couldn't get his fingers to do the things that he wanted them to do. We've been in this series that I have called, That's What He Said. And in this series, we've been looking at things that Jesus actually said. We're quoting some of the things that came out of the mouth of Jesus. And um, we've been considering the impact of those words. And certainly everything Jesus said mattered because they came from Jesus but this particular thing has caught my imagination and my, my mind and my thought as I, I am looking at the phrase in this prayer where Jesus prays in verse 23, May they be brought to complete unity. May they be brought to complete unity. So when Jesus prayed to God his Father on the occasion of the night before he would be taken or nailed to a cross, when, when he prayed at that garden, uh, of all the things that he could pray for us, what he prayed for was unity. Was for us to get our act together and to be unified. When he was praying for future Christians, when he was praying for people who would believe the message of the gospel, of all the things that he could have prayed for there in that garden in that intense time, what he prayed for was that we would be unified, that we would be one, that we would be brought together and made as a unified front. And I want to submit to you, I, I, when I first looked at that, I wondered why. I wonder why of all the things that Jesus would pray there at the garden for us. Why would he pray this prayer? And it occurs to me that the reason Jesus prayed for us to be unified and to have unity is because there is so much power in a unified body of believers. It is a powerful prayer. As I began to look at this, what Jesus prayed for us is the best thing that could be happening in our lives. If we would get it together and get organized, God would be able to do amazing things in our church, in our life. And so this this spoke to me as I was thinking about this. I remind you in John 14, Jesus told his disciples That anyone who had seen him had seen his father. And one of the things he prayed is that we would be like he and his father are one. That we would be one like they are. Connected in such a way. And how many of us here will admit that most of us have difficulty with this whole concept of unity. My goodness. Two people a lot of times have problems being unified. Amen. Even in the church, uh, husbands and wives uh, separated, divorced. We can't even unify with our own spouses, a lot of us. 
About half of the church, well, almost half of the church, of the married people in the church, end up divorced just like the rest of the world. People don't naturally gravitate towards unity with one another. It takes a whole lot of work. Yes, it does. Amen, it does. Some of you wives are saying, boy, you have no idea, pastor, how hard I have to work to be unified to that man. My wife knows all about it, let me tell you. No, it, it isn't something that happens uh, uh, just uh, by happenstance. It, it isn't that easy. Jesus prayed in verse 23 that we would be brought to complete unity. Acts chapter 2 is, is said to record the birth of the Christian church, the church of Jesus Christ. And I think that that's a fairly accurate description of what happens in, in the book of Acts chapter 2. In that chapter, the Holy Spirit is poured out on 120 people who have on the order or on the command of Jesus have been meeting together. Uh, They've been meeting together in a room and praying together and they've been unified in their prayer life. For several days, they were seeking the Lord and then God came and did something that was spectacular and and incredible. And the Holy Spirit was poured out. The end of Acts chapter 2 have some incredible verses describing the very first moments of that early church, the very first days of that early church. Acts chapter 2 verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to any as he as he had need every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved two chapters later in Acts Acts chapter 4 there are more verses attesting to the unity That these believers had with one another. And let me read them to you. Acts chapter 4 verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But they shared everything they had. With great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Can I be really frank with you for a few moments and just tell you I have never attended, much less pastored, a church like that. I haven't. That's not been my experience, and I suspect it's not been your experience to be in a church that is like that. If this wasn't in God's word, if this wasn't the Bible, I might be tempted to say, I don't think that this kind of thing can happen where people come together with that kind of one-minded purpose and one-hearted love for one another. I might say that people can't do that, that it's impossible, but I can't say that. I can't say that because the Bible tells us it happened. 
I can't say that it's an exaggeration and a, and um, a parable to to make a point. No, it is printed in your Bible as a historic fact. This is what happened in the early church. The church, by the way, where you come from, because if you're part of a Bible believing church, you're part. Your, your roots go all the way back to the days when the Holy Spirit was poured out on people in such a way that they lived like this. That they, they, were, they were so sold out, so unified in their devotion to Christ, so sold out to serving Jesus and honoring him that they viewed their own possessions and homes and lands as not nearly as important to them as ministering to people that they they uh, were fellow in their their Christian community family as per, uh, furthering the the kingdom of God in the world they were so excited over the fact that Jesus Christ was resurrected and alive that the power of God was doing amazing things as they would share. They opened their homes. They invited people in. They told them without shame, Jesus Christ is alive and he can transform your life. They shared their faith openly. They got together all the time. They opened their homes to one another. They gathered together. They ate together. They, they prayed together. They devoted themselves to the word of God. This is some church. It is on fire. And because they were so unified this created for the holy spirit this wide open channel it would be like going up to a one of these fire hydrants and screwing on a big large uh, hose and letting it all flow they created that atmosphere so that the power of god was powerfully moving god's spirit was able to just go uninterrupted unencumbered and to do things that only god can do miracles happen every single day people were healed on the spot miraculously miracles of all kinds were happening signs and wonders were happening in their worship services they joyfully uh, worshiped the lord there was no sort of standing back and crossing the arms and saying go ahead bless me i dare you it wasn't any of that they came excited to church they had church they worshiped i think they would have scared half of us to death I think you'd have to be a modern day snake handler to be comfortable in this church. I mean, these people were expressive in their worship. They were excited to worship the Lord together. It was an alive church, my friends. They eagerly sought ways to grow in the Lord. All the believers were one in their heart and one in their mind behind the name of Jesus Christ. They wanted to lift it up. They wanted to serve Him. They were ecstatic to know the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. And the result of that unity provided this wide channel where God worked in miraculous ways. Every single day, every single day, people were being added to their church in great numbers and being saved. It started with a group of people about the size in this room. And after day one, it already was over 3,000. That's the power of unity. May they be brought to complete unity. I have to wonder what it was like to be part of that. I'm a little bit envious that I didn't get to be. When Jesus prayed for believers to be unified, I think this must have been what he had in mind. 
And I have to wonder what it would be like for any church today, any modern American church, if we, if any church would decide to actively pursue this kind of biblical unity with one another. What if we ever decided together? What if we ever decided to get organized? What if we ever decided, you know what? More important than my own personal preferences is the kingdom of God. What if we joined together in that and unified around the, the purpose of loving God back? Printed on our wall. We print it on the outside of our wall. I preach about it to you all the time. Most of you are, have this whole sermon memorized by now about what, how important it is to love God with all that we are. And I will tell you, if we could just unify with that, just that, if we could just get it in our heads, let's love God with all that we are. If we would just do that, I think the changes that would occur in our church would be mind-blowing. I don't know that we would have words for what God would do. And so I have to wonder what would happen to a modern day church who would pursue biblical unity. Would that church see more manifestations of God's holy power in our midst? I think we would. I think we would be one of those places where God just was moving in such a powerful way that people, the moment they stepped foot on the property, would sense the presence of the Almighty right here. Let me say something to you very quickly, and this is just, this is free. I won't charge you for this. Let me tell you something. One day we will one be in the presence of Almighty God. We will see Him. And I promise you the effect of that, just being in His presence, will, will over, it will, it will blow your circuitry. You will, you won't know. What to do. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to fall on your face. You're going to be overwhelmed by the glory of this, this God. You're going to be overwhelmed by the presence of his power. I have had the privilege of being in a few places and times. Uh, when, when I don't know how else to word it. When it felt like God just started filling the room. And I almost couldn't breathe. Because of his power. And I have felt my knees go weak. And I have felt myself say. Ken get low. Get as low as you can go. Because his majesty had entered. And I had to worship. What would happen. If the church. Would hunger and thirst. After just that together. Oh the presence of the Lord. Oh, the things that would happen if, if people knew. Do you think if, if a church had that going on in a manifestation of God working in that way and the, and the sense of God's presence like that, do you think the world would be the, a path to the doors of that church? I do. Because here's what I know. We may look at our country and say, you know, we're, we're going as a country in a wrong direction and bad things are happening. And I do believe that. But people are still people. And they were created with a void for God and a hunger for God. And if they knew of a place where they could in, truly encounter the presence of the Lord, they would come here even if they wouldn't know what they were doing with it. Because the presence of God is that powerful. The presence of God is that amazing. And oh, I have to wonder what would happen 
I think we would get to see the miraculous signs and wonders of God's presence. Not not some kind of production, not some man-made thing, not some show, but real power from God being poured out and real life trans, uh, transformation happening. And that's what I long for. Would the world be the path to the door of a church like that? I would think so. Would there be real joy in the praise and worship? Yeah, you bet there would. Would there be so much going on in that particular church that even the local government and maybe even further would take notice? That's what happened in the early church. They got the attention of the governmental officials because, man, stuff was happening there. Would you and I want to be part of that kind of church? I know I would. So please hear me today, church. So powerful is real unity, biblical unity, that even a few small steps in the direction on our part towards real unity would dramatically expand our impact on the world around us. Conversely, just a small shift in a direction away from being unified, this unity would have the potential to destroy us. That's the power of what Jesus prayed. May they be brought to complete unity. Jesus said that. Jesus prayed that. I want to talk to you a little bit about what unity is so that there's not a misunderstanding about it. And what I believe that Jesus was talking about when he prayed that we would be brought to complete unity. I want to suggest to you, first of all, that unity is oneness, not uniformity. Oneness, not uniformity. Verses 22 and 23, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me. There have been some in the church who have had the mistaken uh, understanding that unity means thinking the same thoughts, sharing the same convictions, having the same preferences, liking the same music, wearing the same kind of clothes and looking the same. And there have been uh, some some. People, uh, churches, uh, and I, I use that term a little bit loosely, who, who see unity as everybody thinks the same way and believes the same way exactly, and that's, that's what it looks like. I want to quote Leslie Flynn in her book, Great Church Fights, and this is the mantra. This is kind of what the mantra sounds like. Believe as I believe, no more, no less. That I am right and no one else, confess. Feel as I feel. Think as I think, eat as I eat, and drink as I drink. Look as I look, and do as I do. Then I'll have fellowship with you. That's not unity. That's uniformity. If you want uniformity, join the military, okay? They'll, they'll make you be uniformed with them. You may not have unity in your mind and heart, but boy, you will wear the clothes they tell you to wear and you will do what you were told to do the way. And, and by the way, the way you do it will be their way, not your way. There's the wrong, right way, the wrong way and their way. OK, that's just the way it is. you want uniformity. You can join the military. That's where you find uniformity. Biblical unity is not the absence of differences, church. It's not the absence of, of, of differing opinions. Biblical unity is channeling our differences behind one 
purpose and one name, Jesus Christ. Biblical unity does not shut out differences. It recognizes those differences as strengths because we recognize that God gifts us in different ways and we're wired differently. I don't want you all thinking like me. You would drive me crazy. I don't want a bunch of you or me and you. I don't want you to become a clone or a sycophant. That's not what any real pastor would want. I just want to be one with you about this. We can all agree that Jesus is the victorious Savior of the world. Amen? We can get behind that. We can get behind His mission. We can get behind the things that He commands. If we can do that and we can join in the belief that Jesus can transform people. Do you believe with me that he is the savior of the world? Therefore, he takes a soul who is headed to hell, turns them around and puts them on a road to glory. I believe in that. And I get behind that kind of mission. We can unify. We can come together. We may have different preferences of music. I know some of you will hate this about me. I love southern gospel music. Love it. Man, I could do Gaithers. I like it a whole lot. Man, I can, I, that's what I learned how to sing. That's why I don't sing a whole lot in here. Because you guys aren't a bunch of Southern Gospel lovers. I'm okay with you if you don't like Southern Gospel music. I think something's wrong with you, but I'm okay with you with that. I'm good. We all have our different tastes and our own strengths and, our, and, and, and unity doesn't have anything to do with our preferences. It has everything to do with getting behind the same thing. And, and of course we can agree who Jesus is. In 1 Corinthians 12 verse 12. Paul wrote these words, the body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. And the chapter goes on to talk about how the parts of the body make up the whole, and and they work toward the same end to keep a healthy body. A healthy human body is all connected by certain parts, and I'm glad everything doesn't look the same. And Paul makes that illustration. It's almost in a, uh, a kind of uh, uh, absurdity in the way that he makes it. But I will say this. This is a scientific fact. Every single cell in your body is connected with every other cell in your body. So when your brain thinks a thought, it affects every cell in your body. That's why people can talk themselves into being sick. They just say, oh, I'm sick. I feel awful. Look, yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going down. Yep, my, my breath's not too good here. Oh, yeah, I'm really sick. This is bad. And you can literally, don't do this to yourself, because you can literally talk yourself into being sick. You can make your, your cells go, oh, we're sick. Oh, goodness. And your cells will start to react to your thoughts. Because every cell is connected to every cell. So even your little toe will go, oh, we're sick. Okay? That's going to happen. All right? When you smash your little toe, I hope you don't do it. Because let me tell you, if that's on your bucket list, things to do before you die, smash your little toe, scratch it. It's a bummer. It hurts, okay? But but when you smash your little toe, all your cells become aware. Hey, something bad happened way down there. That's not good. And your whole body gives attention to that part that's hurt. Like when I was... 
attempting one day to do some carpentry work and I slammed my thumb with a hammer. Man, I had a framing hammer and I, I wailed it, man. It blew up. Blood was going everywhere. And what happens when that happens? My whole body had the attention of my poor thumb. I'm sticking it in my mouth. Why do we do that? I'm going to put it in my mouth. And, and my body wanted to say things. It was bad. That's how it works. Why? Because we're unified. Our cells are unified. Our bodies are unified. Your nose is unified with your knee. And that's just the way it is. And in the body of Christ, real unity works like that. When one hurts, we all sense it. We all know it. And we all respond to it. When one is in need, we all respond. That's what that early church did. You don't have a need. You don't have a need. I'm glad I found out about that. Let me share. I have an abundance. And that was just... They were so in love with Jesus, so in love with one another, they were so unified, they worked like this. That illustration that Paul made is wonderful. And he asked some absurd questions later on in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 17. That the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as they, he wanted them to be. If they were not, I'm sorry, if they were all one part, where would the body be? So can I say this lovingly to you? Unity is not about uniformity. And it's also not all about you. It's about being together. And unified behind things. Secondly, I'm going to move to my second point because I'm preaching too long. Secondly, unity is a gift of God, not a human achievement. There's a sense in which unity is a gift of God and not a human achievement. My siblings and I are unified together because we happen to come from the same mom and dad. My brothers and sisters and I have the same blood flowing through our veins. We have deuce of blood. And so just by virtue of them being related to me and me being related to them, not because I picked them, not because they picked me, I'm unified with them. I'm a Dusa. And nothing I can do or say is going to change that. Oh, I can, I can say you don't belong with me. But I'm still unified with them because I have all the DNA traits that they have. You know, we, we share that. And that's the way it is. I'm, I'm related to them. And none of us can, can deny, oh, we can say we do. But again, it makes no sense to because the truth is we're deuces. And that's just the way it is. I want you to know that the moment you entered into the kingdom of God, you entered into the family of God. And you are linked the same way your cells are linked in your body. You are linked to every single believer on the planet who has ever lived. Those in glory right now, you're linked to them. You are one with them. Every single believer is one with Jesus, one with one another. None of this happened by your human effort. All you did was respond to the offer that Jesus gave for you to become a child of God. After you did that, he did the rest. He made you his family. And you're linked together. And I want to say something to you. Take a look at me for just a second. If you're a believer, you're one with me. Deal with it. (laughs) Just deal with it. Because if you're a believer, I'm linked to you. And that's just the way it is. Can we, can we please process this for a moment? Because this is important, okay? I won't spend a whole lot of time. 
I'm, I'm linked to you, not because I linked myself to you. I'm linked to you because Jesus made it happen. And no, we're not linked by blood that flows through our veins, but we're linked by the blood that covers us. The blood of Jesus Christ that took our sins away. So you are my sister, ladies. You are my brother, men. And I'm linked to you. And that takes away any animosity that I think I'm allowed to feel towards other believers. Listen to me. There are other Christians within the family of God who don't interpret the Bible exactly the way I do. It doesn't mean I'm better than they are or they are better than me. Do you hear me? We need to stop this nonsense. We need to stop looking at other Christians and castigating them because they believe in something we don't believe in or or because they emphasize something a little more than we do or don't emphasize it enough. We need to just stop. Because they belong to me and I belong to them. They're just family. And we all have that weird Uncle Howard or whatever in our family. Maybe some of them are the weird ones. It's okay. I think I'm the weird one, actually. I think I'm that weird guy. But all of that said, I'm linked. Thank you for the hearty amens, brother. Yes, sir. I can count on Kip. But that unity... Wasn't created by me. That unity isn't my actions. That unity, that part, that's all God. He did it. I'm already linked to you, believer. If you're a believer, we're one. We're together. That unity, I belong to the same family as you because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And you and I don't get to choose our relatives. And you and I don't get to choose our church family. We let God do that. Amen? That's his work. Now, let me say this. There is also a sense where unity is intentional. Because although every believer is one with Christ and one in Christ, every believer is responsible to make intentional efforts to function within the church of Jesus Christ. You can't be a body part that decides I'm done being part of the body. Amen, oh my, or ouch. And there are too many Christians who do that. You get, disen- you, you get disenchanted with the church. Maybe a local church, you get hurt in that church. And you say, that's it, I'm out, I'm done, I'm not. I can be a Christian without any Christians around me. I don't need the church. Don't need to go to church anymore, I'm sick of it. I'm just going to go somewhere in nature and enjoy nature. I can experience God there. Yes, you can. Yes, you can experience God there. But you won't experience God's people and God as Jesus prayed. That we would be brought into complete unity. Like it or not, we need each other. I need you, you need me. And again, I hope you can deal with that. Because that's what Christ has called us. And we have a responsibility before God to make intentional efforts to function within the body of Christ. If our church, particular church, is to move closer to biblical unity, then each one of us will have to be intentional about making that happening. John chapter 13, verse 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And love is a lot of things at once, right? Sometimes love is really squishy and marshmallowy and makes you float. I love watching young people fall in love. It's awesome. I love that. I love love. It's really cool, man. It's, I, I ch- chuckle. When younger people are falling in love, it's so fun to watch, right? And and um, every once in a while, I've gotten to see, like, you know, t- teen boy A notice that teen 
young lady uh, B is hot. And and it's so cool how they work their network of friends to get talking to the the hot chick and 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 then or or it could be the other way around. A young lady will notice a young man is good looking and she starts talking to her friends and all of a sudden the friends are going to this young man and they're talking and like she thinks you're pretty. I don't know the word today. Back then, back in my day, it was Foxy. Okay, yeah. I thought their name was Foxy. I made sure her friend, and one of her friends is sitting right next to her. I, I talked to Issa. I said, Issa, I want to take Darlene out. I like her. She's foxy. And I got Darlene to talk to her. I mean, Issa to talk to Darlene. And honestly, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. You can ask Darlene. Issa almost had to twist her arm to make her go out with me. See? But that's how I love love because then, then you know, for in my case, I was like a wart. I grew on her and she, she eventually. But... But I love love. I love watching teenagers fall in love with each other. I love watching people and the way that they look at each other, you know, and the way they talk to each other. It's hysterical. I love love when it's squishy and gushy like that. It's a whole lot of fun to watch. I, it, it cracks me up. Uh, young adults, and I'll, I'll pick on people like Chad's age. I'm not saying this is Chad. I'm not saying this is Chad. I'm using an age, Chad. Who might meet a dark-haired, beautiful young lady. It could happen, okay? But I'm not talking about Chad, alright? But, but it's so funny. They'll go out on a date. They'll be together for hours. And then, as they're driving home sometimes, they're on the phone. They're still, they're still talking. Because that's how love works once in a while, right? And then they get home, they're texting each other. And, and the way they look at each other, not Chad, not Chad, but the way they look at each other, the way that they're, they're, they're looking into each other's eyes, you know, that's love. But how many of us know that love can be something different than that too? It can very much be something like that, or different than that. Where there isn't a bunch of squishy feelings, but there is still the act of loving Jesus enough to love on other people. Amen. And we know in a size of the church, even this size, this, this little congregation, even in a church this size, there are people probably sitting in this room right now to get on your nerves. Oh, come on. You know it. And they're not people you're going to be squishy gushy with all the time. And I get that. But love can be. Loving somebody more out of an act of will and saying, how can I help that person know that Jesus loves them and I'm with them? How can I unify with them in, in a biblical sense? We all know that it's, there's times when, and I'll just use this, if a brother in our church should happen to be hurting, something's going on in his life and he's broken, he's hurting, it would be way more appropriate for the men of the church to gather around him. There's appropriate boundaries in this. I'm not not trying to cross any of them. I'm just saying that sometimes there's a sense in which unity has to be an intentionality within our body. And I want you to know something. I was I was thinking about this last night and, and I was praying with Andrew and the thought came uh, to me, it occurred to me as I was praying with Andrew, and I'm, Andrew and I were preparing for the service, and I'm, we, we were holding hands to pray together. I love this young man, okay? I'm not trying to embarrass Andrew. I just, I love him. He's a wonderful young man. And I'm praying, and it occurs to me, Ken, you never would have met Andrew were it not for what Jesus did in your life. Jesus put me in Andrew's life, and Andrew in my life. Guess what? I don't think I've met any of you were it not for what Jesus did in my life and did in your life. And I am grateful for it. 
I love you. And I'm not ashamed to tell you that. I love being your pastor. I love you. I love the friendships that I've formed here with you. Darlene and I feel like we are accepted here and loved here and respected here. And we love you for that. And we know why. Something God did for us. And I don't want to just say, eh, I can replace these people because I can't. I can't replace you. You don't replace family. So I, I am grateful that I have an opportunity to see what we can do together and unify behind the purposes of God's will. Jesus said that. Jesus prayed that. May they be brought into complete unity. I um, heard a, a quote, and I, I can tell you it's an unknown. The author is unknown, but I thought this quote was pretty funny and, and kind of apropos for people who are in ministry and working for Christ. Here it is. The reason mountain climbers are tied together is to keep the same ones from going home. I love that quote. <laughs> love that. And speaking of that particular quote, Gerhard E. Frost wrote the following. I don't know who said it. He's talking about the quote or when or where, but I have chuckled over it and thought about it and quoted it too. With a mountain of mercy behind me and a mountain of mission ahead, I need you, my sister, my brother. I need to be tied to you and you need me too. We need each other to keep from bolting, fleeing in panic and returning to the sanity of unbelief. We know that living a Christian life is challenging and at times we do need one another really badly. We need to be tied to one another so that when we try to bolt, we got some people saying, wait a minute. No, you're not going. You're not. No, we're, we're on this mountain together. Don't you bolt. Okay, we need that. We need that help with one another. Jesus said it. Jesus prayed it. May they be brought into complete unity. And I have to tell you, as I was preparing this message, I, I was saying, oh, God, if we can just take some steps together as a church, we're going to see you do some wonderful, amazing things in our midst. So here's what my action steps to you are. I want you to not set this message on the shelf as soon as you walk out the door. I'm asking you to pack it up a little bit, whatever thoughts God has already put into your mind and your heart, and live with it for a day or two. And think about what it may mean for you to be brought into complete unity with this, with one another. I want you to ask what the ramifications of that may look like in your life and how you can unify. I'm going to warn you ahead of time that when I'm greeting you today, I'm going to take a moment to thank you for letting God put you in my life. Because I love you. And I'm grateful for you. And I, I know that I'm one of these guys that, you know, often throws out compliments, often says things, you know, positive to you. And I've told you that part of my life philosophy is when I encounter a person, my goal is to lift them up just, just a tiny bit. One word, one smile, one gesture, one thing that lifts a person up. Because there's too many people who are breakers. Too many people who are 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 um, people who, who drag people down. I don't want to be one of them. I don't want to be that. I want to be a builder. And so with God's help, uh, I intend to keep building on you and, and letting you know that you matter to me because you do. 
I don't know what God is going to say to you about this, but I'm asking you just to commit to be obedient. Amen.